Guys, we're going to be in Genesis 1 tonight. So if you guys open your Bible, it's the, like maybe the first page, maybe the second. It's, it's pretty easy to find. Um, but while you're turning there, I was thinking about this on my drive in today. So I grew up in a, in a church in Indiana, and one of the things that our church in Indiana had was a thing called Bible Bowl. Um, and I can tell you that I did not voluntarily sign up for Bible Bowl. I did it one year. And the, the way it works is you study a book of the Bible, and you basically go to churches around the state, and you're facing other churches in this like Bible trivia on this one book. Um, and so as I was preparing for, for this tonight in Genesis, I was like, okay, I've, I've studied Genesis. I know Genesis. And I can just tell you that as I've looked at Genesis 1 tonight, I do not know Genesis. There is so much here. It is so packed. Um, but I'm so excited that we can dive into it together and learn from what God has to say. Um, so I grew up in Indiana, like I said, and one of the things that my parents did, you know, they were very, like, good on wanting us to go be learned in a lot of different things. Um, and one of those things that we got the chance to do is, if you've never heard of it, it's called the Creation Museum. Um, it's in Ohio, I believe. Yes, Creation Museum. Um, and one of the things that they also created, it's Answers in Genesis, if you've never heard of it. It's a website. It talks all about Genesis, all about creation. Um, but one of the things that they have created is they've created a real-life replica of the ark. Like, the ark that Noah would have built. They used the dimensions from the Bible. They used everything um, that the Bible had to say and basically recreated this ark in the middle of Kentucky. And so it's kind of a strange thing. You're driving up to it and you're like, uh, where, where are we? You're just in the middle of the field. Where where are we? But you kind of turn the corner, and next thing you know, you see this ark. And it's just a giant boat sitting in the middle of this field. And you're like, well, I don't think this is ever going to sail. At least I hope not. Um, but, but you get up to this ark, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But it's like literally the only thing there. Okay? So like, you're driving up, and you see this boat. Cool. Great. But as you start to get closer, as you start to kind of get into the ark, they actually created it where you can walk inside the ark, and it's a giant museum inside telling all about the flood, all about the science behind it. And as you start to get up closer to the ark, you realize just the amount of detail that it has. You realize, like, Noah would have built this thing by hand. The Bible says it took him over a hundred years to build this ark. And so I thought it was kind of a neat analogy for our, our time tonight. Um, a lot of times I think our faith is like that. We get up close to this ark, we get up close to God, and we, we don't really have the full picture. We kind of lose the full picture of who God is. We see the details, we see like what's right in front of us, but uh, tonight for our Bible study, we're going to kind of zoom back out. We're going to kind of like be pulling in, we're going to look at God from this, this perspective of God, you are so big, so powerful, so awesome, and, and we're going to look at the awe of God tonight and who God is based on what the Bible has to say about it from the creation perspective. Um, a lot of times I think we get kind of caught in this rut. A lot of times we get caught in this like who God is to me. If I need a helper, God is my helper. If I need a friend, God is my friend. If I need a counselor, God is my counselor. If I need peace, God is peace. And that's great. God is absolutely all of those things. But tonight, we're going to kind of take our perspective back. We're going to look at who God is, and we're going to look at his power, and his might, and his splendor. And we're going to do it all within the context of Genesis 1. Really, we're going to be in really just the first three verses here tonight. 
But I'm so excited for it because when we take this step back, when we look at who God is, it's a chance to deepen our relationship so that when we do dive back in, and this is going to be a two-part series, when we dive back in next week, we're going to look at this powerful God is also a personal God to us. So that'll be week two. Um, but for tonight, like I said, we're going to be in Genesis 1. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, I'm going to pray for those in Israel and what's going on there. Um, pray that God is um, with them and is revealing himself to them in, in real ways. Um, so let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we just lift you up tonight, Lord. I thank you for each and every one of these people that are here, Lord, that have taken time out of their day, time, taken time out of their night, Lord. And I don't know what kind of day they've had, Lord, but you brought them here and that is not a coincidence. God, we just lift your name high. We are so thankful for what you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for your awe and your might and your splendor, Lord, that teaches us and reveals yourself to us in powerful ways. But thank you also for your personal nature. God, I lift up those in Israel right now, Lord, who are being devastated by the, the attacks from Hamas, Lord. We just pray that those in Israel, Lord, they are your people and you've promised to protect them, Lord. But for those that don't know you and haven't accepted your Savior, Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you and come to see you in a very real way. God, we love you. We praise you. Bless our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to read Genesis 1. We're going to read the first three verses. Um, And this is, like I said, where we'll spend most of our time tonight. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And what I love about that, that first, those first four words are so powerful. We could spend the entire night talking about those first four words. I promise I won't do that. But those first four words are so dense, so deep. And these first four words are going to bring us to our first God is statement tonight. And that is God is uncreated. Let me read that again. In the beginning, God. So literally before the beginning, God was there. And what I love about that is I think it it, it generates so many questions of, okay, before the beginning of what? And God was where? And so the questions that I want to consider for that tonight is, how do we know that God wasn't created before this beginning? How do we know that God wasn't before what was written in Genesis 1? And then secondly, can we trust that this was actually the beginning? And so to answer the first question of how, how do we know that God wasn't created before the beginning, I want to look at the second question first of how do we know that there actually was a beginning. And creationists um, are scientists, we're going to define these terms, creationists and evolutionists, okay? Both of these are scientists, but they believe very different things about the creation of the world. Creationists, for example, are scientists who believe in the biblical account of creation, Evolutionists believe in the secular account. They don't believe that there is a God. They don't believe that God had any influence as to how we got here. But the really interesting thing about creationists and evolutionists is that they've actually come to agree that the universe had a beginning. They've actually come to agree on the evidence provided through science. Remember, science, science doesn't tell us anything. Scientists do. Science provides the evidence, but it's scientists who interpret that data. So when we have creationists and evolutionists, we can be sharing the same data, we can be sharing the same understanding, but we have two different outputs. But the, the funny thing is, is that creationists and evolutionists are looking at what's called the Doppler redshift. 
And what the Doppler redshift does is it's showing that the universe is actually expanding. And the way that they're able to identify this is that when they look through you know, the Hubble telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, when they look at the, the outer space, they're seeing that the electromagnetic waves are coming back with a red shift. And that red shift means that those wavelengths are getting longer. And what they've come to understand is that as the universe expands, you can actually trace that back in time to a beginning. If you guys have ever played with one of these when you were little, I, I know I see some heads laughing. The, these things were so cool because as you start at the beginning of a point, you can expand it and things start to get spread apart. But if you understand that as things expand, they can also contract. And so what the, what the scientists are able to find is that as the universe is expanding, as they have evidence for that, we can trace that back in time to the universe having a beginning. And so if the universe is expanding, it had to be placed in motion, okay? And so this is where creationists and evolutionists start to differ. The, the photo on the left there is what scientists and creationists would agree on as the Big Bang, okay? But the cause of the Big Bang is disputed. This is where, where we start to differ from creationists and evolutionists. But what's so interesting about that is that it all started at a point, okay? But scientists, evolutionists, believe that the world was created out of nothing, okay? Conditions just happened to be right, and there was this infinitesimally small particle, and now everything exists as we know it today, okay? That's what evolutionists believe. Creationists, on the other hand, refer to Genesis uh, 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, then God said, I love that, God said, he spoke it into existence, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So let me ask you a question. Does it take more faith to believe that the world and the earth as we know it today is just created out of chance? Or would it be easier to believe that a holy, all-powerful God has the ability to speak it into existence? We're sharing the same data. We're looking at the same things, but we differ because one person wants to acknowledge God and the other does not. The Bible says that, that the, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So if we agree then that the universe has a beginning, that second photo out there on the right, I should mention that that second photo or on the left, I'm sorry. Um, scientists who don't believe that the universe actually began at a beginning, they're actually looking at a very similar model. They just believe that negative time is possible. Um, they're, 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 uh, their study has a lot of flaws to it. And they actually believe on the same thing, but they just don't believe in who God is. They don't believe that God is possible. So they had to manipulate the data to fit the way that they wanted it to look. So if we believe that the universe has a beginning, though, how do we know that God wasn't created before the beginning, as described in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God. How do we know that God wasn't created sometime before the beginning? But see, logically, that doesn't make sense to us. And Genesis can have, kind of have our head to start to spin. But the word beginning literally signifies the start of a beginning, the start of a period of time. Okay? It's, it's, it's not that complicated. Beginning is the start of a period of time. But today when we track time, and, this, and uh, creationists would believe that in the beginning God is the start of time as God created it. 
But the word beginning signifies a period of time, and we're saying that God is before that. And as we track time today, we track time in what's called epics, okay? Not E-P-I-C, like, ooh, that's epic, but epics, E-P-O-C-H. And what epics are is a distinctive period of time. And what's so interesting about that is that today, our clocks on our phone, if you pulled out your iPhone and it has a, a, a time on it, what's being done is actually this counter is actually counting upward by one, okay? It is being... It's not calculating the actual time. It is counting up by one and then subtracting from a reference point. And that reference point is for universal uh, or coordinated universal time is called UTC. And it traces back to January 1st, 1960. Okay, that is the, the beginning of time. That is the frame of reference that we use for time today. Up until 1928, they used what was called universal time. And this was based on the rotation of the earth, okay? So as the earth rotated, okay, as we rotated once, that's one day. And they used the earth's rotation to track time. If you trace time all the way back to the beginning throughout history, they have always used the sun, the moon, the stars to track time as we know it. That's how we can always trace it back to a very reference started in Gen- Genesis 1.1. And so what am I getting at by this? If, if time is only valid based on a valid, agreed-upon initial reference point, then any reference point, if, if we don't have a reference point, then time cannot exist. And so if the very first reference point that we have defined is Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning God created, anything before that time does not exist. And yet we see, already see that God existed. And so God is an uncreated God. And why is that important? Why do we even care about that? Because every other religion, every other religion in the world today worships a created God, but not Christians. The Bible gives us the definition that Jesus and God is an uncreated God who has always been and will always be. But Muslims, Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, they all worship created gods. And what do I mean by that? They could either be worshiping themselves, created beings, or they're worshiping demonic principalities as we would know it. And yet demonic principalities, those supernatural, are still created by God. Okay, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more, but only God existed prior to time. God created supernatural beings. He created us. And so every other religion, even though they may acknowledge that their person is God, is still a created being because it's not the true God of the Bible. Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Created gods are not worthy to worship. Only God is. And because God is worthy to worship, because God is who he says he is, John 3.31 says, he who comes from above is above all. He's above everything. He, is, he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from the heavens is above all. God is an cr- uncreated God who is holy, who is outside of time, who is all-powerful, full of might. And as we zoom back out, as we, we're looking at who God is, God being uncreated is what makes him worthy of our worship. It is not just some figment of our imagination that we've made up. Anybody can worship themselves. Any religion can call something divine, 
But if something's not actually uncreated and unsustainable by themselves, they're not worthy to worship. And yet our God is. I love that. The second God is statement that we're going to look at tonight is God is creator. Staying in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so to fully appreciate what this actually means, at face value, this is cool. God created the heavens and the earth. Woohoo, like we're here. But the Hebrew and the way it was written, we lose some context when we translate it to, to the English. So I want to look at that tonight. Um, when we look at the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we look back at the original Hebrew, the, be- the word beginning is the word bereshith. And bereshith in the Hebrew is actually the name of Genesis for the Hebrew Bible. And it translates literally to in beginning. Meaning in the beginning, at the very start of time, we've already covered this. In the beginning, God was there. The next word, God, is Elohim. And what's so significant about that is in this context, Elohim is a masculine plural noun. Okay? And the following word, created, in in the Hebrew language is the word bara. Okay? Bara is a masculine singular noun. That would be like me coming up to you and saying, we am going. We am going to the car. We am going to the festival. That doesn't make any sense to us. It's either we are going or I am going. And so when we translate it back to the original Hebrew, we have to wonder like, okay, is this this wrong? God, did you make a mistake? Like, what are you trying to tell us? But what God is actually trying to tell us here is he's not making a grammatical statement. He's making a theological one. And because God, Elohim in the Hebrew, is saying that it is a masculine plural noun, what it's actually referring to is the trinity of who God is. So right from the get-go, God is declaring himself as divine, and he's declaring himself as uh, three persons in one. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. God is making a theological statement here. And we see the same thing in verse 26 of Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And then in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. See that again, us, in our. And then he says, in his image, in in, uh, the image of God, he created them. In all of the Bible, only God, only God has the ability to do this word bara, okay? Bara literally translates to out of nothing. Out of nothing, God created. So in the beginning, God created out of nothing the heavens and the earth, okay? When we go to verse 7, it says that God makes, God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. When God creates Adam, he makes Adam. And what's so significant about the word make and made versus created, created is like we said, that word bara. Made or make is the word asa. And bara in the Hebrew is only ever used by God where asa can be used by man and God. God is making another statement here. He says that I am the creator. Everything that is known today is created by God not by man. Man can only make out of what has already been created. I love in Genesis 1, it says that when God created the heavens and the earth, we like look at, continue on in Genesis 1, and we're like, okay, God, what are you, what are you saying then in, in day one and day two? Like, what actually happened? 
Well, God created everything that would ever exist. He created it in Genesis 1-1, but through the next seven days of creation, he would design it to the world that we know today. He would design it perfectly and intricately, but God creates, but man makes. I love that. I, I love that comparison. In the first three verses, as we've read before, we also find that God creates everything that would ever exist. He creates time, he creates space, he creates matter, and he creates energy. Let me read Genesis 1, 1 through 3 again. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So time, we've already talked about this. In the beginning, and then the heavens, space. This is the vast expanse which matter would then come to take up. That's the earth. Okay, but then in verse 3, when God creates light, this is energy. God's creating anything in the electromagnetic spectrum that we know today. And so what's so unique about all of these is time, matter, space, and energy all make up what we would know today as the atom. Okay, God creates, God makes things out of down to the very tiniest atom all the way up to the heavens that we know today. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says... For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. I love that. The third uh, God is statement tonight is God is omnipotent. And the word omnipotent literally means all-powerful. And of all of the ones that we're going to talk about tonight, this one might be my favorite. God is omnipotent, and the story of creation shows that so uniquely, so divinely, and all I can do is look at God in awe when I think about God's power. In, uh, in the recent years, what, what, uh, what we've often used for images is the Hubble telescope, but recently they launched what's called the James Webb Space Telescope. And the James Webb Space Telescope was launched to a point in the the universe where there's no gravitational pull. Everything is equal. And what the James Webb Space Telescope is able to do is it's able to sit in one fixed place and it's able to look into the heavens and take incredible, incredible photos. And this photo was one of the first photos created by the James Webb Space Telescope. And at first we look at it and we're like, oh man, that's a a pretty cool photo. A lot of pretty colors. Um, You know, look got a shiny star right in the middle. But when you actually provide context to what this photo is showing, it blows our mind and it all points back to the powerful nature and the awe of God. In this singular photo are 25,000 galaxies is what they estimate. 25,000 galaxies. In our Milky Way galaxy alone, it's estimated that there are 100 billion stars. There are 100 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy, and in this photo alone is 25,000 galaxies. That comes out, if you do the math, to 2.5 times 10 to the 15th. There are 2, 5 with 14 zeros estimated stars in this photo alone. That is an astronomical amount of number. But what this photo is even, what it gets better than that is that when you take a grain of sand, if you took a grain of sand and held it on your fingertip, held it at an arm's distance, and you were looking through that grain of sand, that's this image. So if you imagine all around you are grains of sand, looking through each and every one, this is what you would see. In this photo alone, there are 25 or 2.5 
quadrillion estimated stars, all bigger than the sun that we know today. And yet God is even bigger than that. God is outside of that. God created that with his spoken word. Guys, as we take this step out, yes, God is personal in nature, but this is amazing that God is personal in nature to us, yet awesome in power and mighty in splendor. There is no one like our God. We just sang that, that there is no one like the name of Jesus. When we look at that photo and the, the, the star in the middle, this, this bright star that you can see that's kind of reflecting, when you look at uh, what they estimate how far this star is away, they estimate it to be four billion light years away, and it's the closest cluster of stars within this photo. Traveling at 660 million miles an hour, it would take you four billion years to reach here. That is an astronomical amount. That is a crazy amount. And yet God is bigger than that. I love that. As we, uh, as we continue looking at the power of God, one of the things that I was doing some research on it, you come across what's called the fine-tuning argument. Some of you guys may be familiar with this, but the fi- fine-tuning argument basically says that all of the conditions for the earth and the universe to exist as it is today only exist under a specific set of initial conditions. And if any of them were altered, life would not be able to exist. And in his book, The Return of the God Hypothesis, Dr. Stephen Meyer pulls together research done by Sir Roger Penrose and Stephen Hawking. They're both Oxford uh, physicists, they're atheists, and yet they pulled together the statistics and the statistical likelihood that the universe would be able to exist. And they looked at all these different conditions. They looked at how far away the earth is from the sun, how far away the moon is from the sun, the size of the earth, the amount of oxygen in the air. They looked at all of these different conditions, hundreds of thousands of initial conditions, and they came up with a number. They came up with a number and they said that there are 10, oops, let's go back. There we go. Um, There are one in 10 raised to the 10 raised to the 123rd power, that is the probability that life would cease to exist. So if there's a 50% chance of life existing, that's one in two. If you multiply life, or two probabilities of 50%, you have one in four, okay? One in four is 25%. One in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd power. The thing that's so crazy about this number is that In this number alone, there are more zeros than atoms in the entire universe. That is crazy. In this number alone, the number that these atheists calculated that the probability for life to exist, they said that there are more zeros in the number than atoms in the entire universe. What's astonishing to me is that two well-respected scientists who claim to be after the truth still deny the existence of God. They would rather put their trust in this number than believe in an almighty, all-powerful God of the universe. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. If you've never seen the movie or the, the sermon, it's a sermon by Louis Giglio, and it's called How Great Is Our God? And he says, If earth was the size of a golf ball, the heavens would be unimaginable. If you have time, go home and look up that sermon by Louis Giglio. It was incredible. But the heavens are telling the glory of God. 
God's power and his detailed design are unfathomable, and it is not something that we are made to comprehend. We are not made to understand the power of God. And as we look at Genesis and as we kind of try and unpack and try to put numbers to the power of God, they just almost don't feel real. And that's okay because when we get to heaven and we ask God, how big are you actually? He's going to explain it way better than I ever could. And I will be first in line to ask him. But it is so cool and so powerful that we get a chance to stand here before God and worship him. And he calls us children of God. We are God's children. We are children of the all-powerful God of the universe. The last God is statement that we're going to look at tonight is God is the Alpha and the Omega. Revelation twenty two twelve says, And behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We've already established that God was the beginning, but man, what hope do we have as the Christian that God is also the end? When we, when we kind of pile up all of our problems, everything that seems like it's going wrong in our lives, when things feel like they're weighing on us, the God of the universe wants to say, put it on my scale because I have always been and I always will be. I'll take that burden. The Bible says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We can put all of our trust because God has always been and will always be. He is the Alpha and the Omega. I want to close with Psalm 90 where God reminds us of his everlasting nature. And I just want to read it. 17 verses, and you can turn there if you want, but just listen. Just see how God is eternal, and as David was crying out to God, David understood this. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood, they are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are like 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I don't know what this week has been like for you, and I don't know what you have coming up this week, but God does. I pray that as we look at who God is, God is uncreated, God is creator, God is omnipotent, and God is the Alpha and the Omega, I hope that there's comfort there. That although God is 
awesome and mighty in power. He's personal in nature to us. And we get to, to be called children of God. Let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your awe and your splendor and your might, Lord. You continue to reveal yourself to us in new ways, Lord. And I just pray that this week we can go forth with that assurance, Lord, that although you are big, you are not distant. Although you are awesome, Lord, you are drawn near to us and you are our peace. God, we love you. We praise you. Go before us this week, Lord. We pray that you would just take every iniquity and burden off of our shoulders, Lord. We love you. We praise you, Lord. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.